Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Dollars and Cents with your host, Nicole Romito. Nicole, it is always so good to spend time with you. What's going on? Oh, I feel the exact same way about you, Eric. Just living the dream, taking it one hour at a time as uh, we continue to maneuver through these uh, very fluid times in the world. Oh, yeah. You know, we're always navigating something, but isn't that the, the best truth? part about it? Yeah. The best part about it is that I know you well enough that you surround yourself with pretty doggone smart people that help you to navigate different things in your life. I do the same. I come to you for guidance with this podcast. I learn so much every time. And again, you brought somebody on the show that is smart and brilliant. And, and I'm, I'm stroking his ego a little bit because he likes it. And he's, this is Bob that you've brought on and you've known him for a long time, right? I have. Yes. Bob is one of my partners and I've had the pleasure of working with him. What are we coming up on, Bob? Seven years? Yeah, probably about seven I years. I think so. Yeah. Nice. So it, it feels like a lifetime. And I mean that in the best way, because I felt like Bob and I just kind of hit our stride from day one when we met. So yeah. I, uh, I'd i like to welcome back Bob Westrick to the podcast. He was with us doing our year end wrap up about six months ago, and he's joining us today so we can do a mid-year check-in on uh, what's going on with kind of the markets and the world at large. And uh, I'm sure he'll share some of the wisdom of what we're doing at Private Vista to help our clients navigate these uh, continuous volatile times. Well, thanks, so, Nicole. And it's a, it's great being back again. I always enjoy uh, speaking on these things with you. Yes. Well, I love it because you. I agree with Eric. You are very uh, well-educated and smart uh, just in general, but certainly about the markets and the economy. Um, and I think you do a great job of being able to talk about it in a way that everyone can understand the concepts and the themes. So well, thanks. As you know, that's my passion. So uh, I know I, I, I do enjoy this stuff. Yeah. Well, good. Well, uh, even though we're going to be talking, you know, a lot of volatility, things like that, you know, as you and I know from been doing this many years in times of volatility or uncertainty, yes, there are vulnerabilities um, or things that could go wrong, but there's also a lot of opportunity and things that could go right. So we'll hit on that. Um, let me just give a brief background in case uh, our listeners did not catch our year end uh, episode, but a little bit about Bob. Um, he's he started out um, at a big eight public accounting firm and spent you know a couple years there. In 1983, he left the firm to work for one of his audit clients, and then uh, about eight years after that, his entrepreneurial itch was scratched as he started a partnership in the financial services industry, and he hasn't looked back since. After he had his initial company, he then co-founded uh, WNA Wealth Advisors, and that was one of the three firms that came together to form Private Vista. And that's when I had the pleasure of uh, not only meeting Bob, but also uh, we began to be able to be colleagues. So Bob has so much experience, uh, both 
in the workplace and outside the workplace that really helps pull together a, I would say, a well-diversified and different perspective that he is able to offer to the clients that uh, he works with at Private Vista. And in addition, he has, of course, been a key person in leading our investment teams and investment strategy at Private Vista. Bob, maybe too, do you want to just add a little bit about um, what you and Karen like to do together, Karen being your wife, uh, for our listeners, obviously you know that. (laughs) Karen, I'm not reminding him. (laughs) But maybe just share a little bit on the personal side, how you guys like to spend your time and what you enjoy doing. Sure. Typically, we we spend a lot of time with our family uh, up at uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, We've got a place up there and um, our daughters, uh, one's married, one's about to get married. They love coming up with their their significant others and, and their animals too, for that matter. And um, we just spend a lot of weekends up there. So that's kind of what we're doing and we're going to try to do more of it as uh, as uh, as I get older and older. That's great. I, I look forward uh, to, to continuing some weekend visits to hang with you and the kids. So... All right. Well, great. So with that, let's just jump right in. Um, There's no shortage of topics to talk about with, you know, what's going on uh, in the world, the economy, and certainly in the markets. Um, I know as you and I were putting together our thoughts for this call, one thing that we were glad to have out of the way is that, uh, you know, the debt ceiling for now has been resolved and they've kicked the can down the road a couple of years. So, I think with that, why don't we kind of jump into, you know, we continue to hear this term. I I, kind of feel like everywhere you read or you're talking to people is these are unprecedented times. So I feel like that's our new norm almost, if you will. But why don't we start with that? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, how you interpret that and how you're, um, you know, how we're guiding clients when they ask about, you know, is this time different? What's different about now is that we really don't, there's no history to guide us. And and never before did the United States like lock down economic activity while printing literally trillions of dollars to pay people not to work. Um, that's over now, pretty much. But now we're seeing the, um, it's kind of like the hangover after the party. You know, as we all know, the definition of inflation is just too many dollars chasing too few goods. And, you know, we just had trillions of dollars poured on the economy and we had all these supply chain issues and there were very, very few goods. And that's why we saw inflation go from a a high, I think it was last June, from over 9% to uh, it's down to about 4.9% as of last April. And now at the same time, we have money supply. Uh, the money supply is like all cash people have in their pockets and their checking accounts, their savings accounts, and even certificates of deposit. And that's shrinking at like the fastest rate on record. We've we've never seen this. I mean, I, I listen to economists all the time. I read economists all the time. Nobody's seen this. And everybody's got a, a different view, but they all say, this is my view, but I really, really don't know. And that's why these truly are unprecedented times. And it's it's interesting. It's fascinating, but it truly is unprecedented. It is. And there's so many different um, facets that you could focus on, I think, to support your argument, you know, for are we headed towards a recession? Are we already through it? Um, I know, as you mentioned with the, uh, you know, a lot of economists or money managers we listen to, while the 
personal balance sheet, right? The excess. I think the last one I talked to might be a little dated. Is there still about two trillion of excess savings that just the consumer has? So it's coming down. People are starting to spend, but to your point, there's still a lot of excess cash sitting out there. There is, and with you know, even though credit card debt has been going up for a number of months now. Uh, some people have cash, some don't, but you're right. right. There's still a lot of excess cash out there, a lot of excess cash. So people are using it to, you know, take vacations, go to movies, go to, you know, uh, take cruises, go to restaurants, that sort of thing. And that's still driving the economy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know even in the car market, while it's gotten a little better, um, talking with, you know, clients and friends, it's still you got to move fast if you're looking for a car or even if it's a new car, it might be on um, they're waiting many months to get it. So you're right. It is still depending on kind of where how you're situated, um, you know, from a financial perspective, uh, but there's still a lot of money out there to be spent. You know, speaking of that, a lot of money that uh, in May, a report was issued by the Federal Reserve of San Francisco, and they concluded that Americans have over 500 billion of what they call excess savings. And mm. this excess savings, their definition of excess savings is $500 billion more than they would have had in savings had the pandemic never occurred. So, uh, you know, relative That's interesting, to, 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 yeah, right? it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting study. And, you know, it's a half a trillion dollars. That's still plenty of money that uh, that is being spent right now. Right. Supporting the economy. Yeah. And just as a reminder to our listeners, I, I, I'm sure we talked about this in the last podcast, but consumer spending um, accounts for about two thirds of the economy. So it really does, um, you know, it is a key metric to be dialed into is how is the individual consumer doing? And we got a lot of excess cash, but to your point as well, credit card debt is starting to, you know, creep up on people who are carrying balances. Um, and that that will be interesting to see what effects that will have. As we know, the Fed uh, it consistently increased interest rates last year and a little, you know, they're on a pause from this month, but that, that rate certainly in, impacts what people are paying on their credit card. If you're carrying balances and then also on the variable rate home equity lines as well. So, right. I mean, the economy is definitely slowing right now. Uh, almost every indicator shows that the economy is slowing. There's some some sectors where it's it's still accelerating a bit, but most most it's it's slowing. And uh the wild card is just uh employment, which just stays surprisingly high. Exactly. And so I think if we're talking, you know, we talked a little bit about the economy um, and as you said, with a lot of the indicators they're they're in, indicating, a lot of the markets we watch are are starting to slow. So oftentimes we'll hear clients say, if things are starting to slow down, why are the markets up here today? Like what is the market seeing that I'm not seeing, meaning the general, you know, consumer investor? So do you maybe want to talk a little bit about the difference between the economy and the markets and why they oftentimes do not move in the same direction? Yeah. And, and that's a really, really important question, Nicole, because a lot of folks mistakenly interchange uh, the word economy and markets, and, and they definitely aren't the same. I mean, the economy is, you know, the production and consumption of, of goods and services. That's the economy. Okay. And the, and the economy 
will kind of dictate where the markets go over the longer term, but not always in the shorter term. And when people say the market, the market is usually defined as the shares of, of publicly traded companies. So oftentimes the market will anticipate where the economy is going and be a leading indicator. And other times it reacts to unexpected changes in the economy. So there's never a real direct correlation. And to your point earlier about the market's di divergence, there has been an absolute huge divergence in different markets this year. So, so let's start with the Dow. The Dow is only up a little over a percent as of as of right now. The S and P is up over eleven and a half. The Nasdaq is up almost twenty seven percent. Small companies only up about five, and international stocks up around ten. Okay, so to your question, Nicole, why the huge divergence between the Dow, the S and P, and the Nasdaq markets? Well, the the, the Nasdaq, which we said was up almost you know almost twenty seven percent has more than 3,300 companies, and it's the vast majority of those companies are technology. And the technology sector is a sector which currently has the highest returns uh, in the market this year. The Dow, on the other hand, is only 50 companies, excuse me, 30 companies, the Dow 30, uh, 30 companies, and and there's, very, there's little technology in there, but very, very little technology. The S&P 500, is a market-weighted index. So although there's 500 companies in the S&P 500, each company does not have a, a 1 500th impact on the S&P 500. Market-weighted, so the bigger company, the bigger the company is, the more impact it has on the index. And most of the biggest companies now in the S&P 500, like we talked about yesterday, are technology companies. Eight, right. Yeah, and eight, eight of the biggest technology companies at the beginning of the year, uh, made up 22% of, of the S&P 500 return. As of today, it's up to 30. It went from 22 to 30 in six months. It's it's just crazy. If you were to take all 500 companies on an equal-weighted basis and not on a market-weighted basis, instead of being up over 11%, the S&P would only be up about 1%. So there's a big divergence between the smaller and the larger companies. I, I agree. And I just want to emphasize that mm. for our listeners, because <clears throat> as we know, I mean, you can't go anywhere without having the market scroll or, you know, you pick up your phone, you're in an elevator. Oftentimes you're in a waiting room and you've got, you know, like you said, the S&P is up 12, 12 and a half percent year to date. And if anyone's in a diversified portfolio and you know, you're still up, but you're not up as much of that. And so again, eight stocks, our industry has not yet been able to come up with an acronym for them, but eight stocks has been driving that 12.5% return year to date for the S&P 500. So the other 492, right? If you take those eight out, the other 492 companies are only up 1.5%. So I think it's also interesting too, while the to your point, Bob, while the markets do react to what's going on to the day-to-day, -day, they will, over time, we never know what that time period is, but they do kind of revert back to the mean. So, and even if we look, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on, if we looked at last year, generally speaking, you know, the tech part of the market or the tech sector got beat up pretty well last year, pretty bad. Last year. Yeah. Badly, yeah. 
So maybe you can even talk about how while there are point in time or short windows, um, I think it's good to put the outperformance this year in the context with the severe underperformance last year, just to kind of help educate our listeners on a couple of things. First of things, these things can move quickly. And also, I think it helps um, support our case for, you know, sticking to your knitting over the long term and really diversification will help you over the full market cycle. No, that's that's uh, that's a good thought, Nicole, because last year, the Dow did way less worse, I guess, than the S&P 500. <laughs> I love that. Way less worse. <laughs> way less worse. And so, you know, uh, folks, if, if you're not careful and if you want to just kind of jump on the fastest horse and different horses, you know, run at different speeds at different times, then you would have jumped on the Dow. Now, this year, the Dow is, you know, up, like we said, very, very little. It's up you know, a little over 1% and the S&P is up over in, in double digits. So you don't want to keep jumping on different horses, depending on who happens to be running fastest at that time. Different sectors do really, really well. And then they don't, you know, this year, energy's down, utilities are down, financials, a lot of the banking issues, financials right. are down. And, you know, to some degree, healthcare is, is down. And sometimes these will be doing a lot better than technology, like last year when technology got crushed. So, you know, like we believe at Private Vista, you you really need to stay diversified and you do get a little disappointed, you know, times like this year when maybe you weren't really, really heavy into a lot of the NASDAQ technology stocks, but you were happier last year when we weren't that heavy into NASDAQ technology stocks. Absolutely. I mean, we always say, you know, the cost of diversification is you won't fully participate in the upside with the goal of you won't fully participate in the downside. Right. And, you know, kind of another adage saying is that if you like everything in your portfolio, <laughs> At you're the not same diversified. Time. <laughs> yeah. If you like everything, because because things move differently and that's why you have diversification, something zig while other things zag. But over time, they should, you know, move up but with less volatility. And that's why you diversify. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the, with the markets year to date, how the, you know, there's a handful of tech stocks. You know, I feel like you and I can say we've seen this movie before, right? Because we had the FANG and then the FANG with two Gs and all that. And there's no acronym now. But um, I know another, um, interesting shift or theme we've seen. I'd love for you to share our thoughts with our listeners about how are the international, you know, developed international markets uh, doing this year as well? Because that's something I would say that we haven't seen in a long time is their performance. Sure. And I hear from clients all the time. Why are we even in international? Because, because, you know, domestic stocks, uh, always seem to be beating them. The and, place to be, right? Right. And, you know, for the last 10 years, yes, they are right. However, when you go back and you look 30, 40 years, basically the lead changes. And, you know, um, this year, um, you know, it it, it ha- it's not beating the S&P, but it's up double digits. It's probably doing pretty well. And the thing is that we look at at Private Vista and our investment teams, we look at relative valuations. And, Gosh, I want to say we increased our allocation towards international uh, earlier this year because the valuation between internet developed international, like you were talking about, and uh, domestic stocks was the greatest we ever saw the the difference. And so when you see something really really cheap, 
that's the time to buy it without trying to say, is it going to go up or down? You just know one thing, you know, it's cheap. So if you price buy matters. it, when you buy yeah. price matters, for instance, right now, when you want to buy the, if you, you want to buy the S and P 500 forward looking earnings on the S and P 500 right now are at 19 times earnings. The price is 19 times earnings that historically it's expensive. Right. So, you know, people might say, Oh, wow, I'm going to buy, you know, let, you know, pick your tech stock with artificial intelligence in it. I, I don't want to say the name of it, but, um, and is that a good company? And if they ask me, I'll say it, it's a great company. Right. Well, should we buy it? Well, it's gone up, you know, whatever, a zillion percent in the past six months. This may not be a great time to buy it. So there's a difference between good companies and good investments. I agree, because I, I think all of us at Private Vista have the, these conversations with clients. And the same thing, I'm like, I'm not saying that ABC company is a bad company or they're going to go out of business, but you have to look at a couple of things. First of all, are they able to sustain this level of you know astronomical growth ongoing? It uh, doesn't mean they won't be growing, but you're 100% right. At valuations today, how much more can you, if you're entering at that higher price point, what's your potential for being able to make money on it? And again, too, with the earnings, the PE or price to earnings ratio you referenced, I mean, that is forward looking. So that's the other thing, too, you got to remember is the markets are always forward looking. And a lot of the, um, uh, I would say, excitement or hoopla around AI is going to already be baked into these prices and their forward looking earnings. So... That's exactly I mean, right. I mean, some companies, it's like uh, they'll do really well with AI, but are they priced that way right now? They're, you know, that like your your point, it's probably already baked into the price, and so they darn well better do real well because it's already it's already in the price. Exactly, and I think too another thing we're seeing uh, being baked into the price is, you know, the the Fed is they put a pause on any interest rate movements for June. Why don't you, would love for you to share your thoughts. I'll certainly chime in on, I mean, is the Fed done raising interest rates? And I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you go first and then kind of add in, you know, people are like, oh, I think, you know, I'm going to, rates are going to go down, you know, first they were saying by the end of the year, maybe by the end of next year. And it seems that people are looking at that with, as a good thing. So it's always, you got to kind of temper that with if rates do start going down, what does that mean, right? For the economy and things like that. But how about we lead off with our connection of the growth stocks, in particular, the tech and uh, what impact could either, if rates stay put, go up or go down? How do you factor that into your investment buying decision? Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Well, typically, if you want to talk tech stocks, um, Tech stacks are considered, uh, generally speaking, long duration investments. Long duration being because the uh, the dividends, the cash you're going to get from these stocks are typically longer, further out, which means that they're going to be more interest rate sensitive. So typically when interest rates go up, typically it hurts tech stocks. And when interest rates go down, it's a, it's a tailwind for tech stocks. So assuming that the Fed does, um, you know, 
reverse direction, and they will at some point. Sure, you know, agree. You know when they do, um, that will that'll be good for tech stocks and probably for most most growth stocks too. Okay. Do we, and I know um, you, I, any of us at Private Vista, really no one has the magic crystal ball. Maybe we can talk a little bit about what would thematically cause the Fed to uh, either continue with their pause or to say, look around and see what's happening in the world, and they would start to reduce interest rates. Right. And and 30,000 foot view of that, Nicole, yep. it, it's, it's inflation. I mean, it's just inflation. Uh, the Fed is trying to get down to an inflation rate of 2%. Like I said, last April, year over year is at 4.9. So there's still a ways to go. The Fed, they can't say it. They won't say it. They want a recession because right. almost the only way to kind of break this inflationary cycle is a recession. You need people out of work. When people out of work, fewer people with jobs, fewer people with money, less demand, and when there's fewer dollars chasing, you know, the same amount of goods and services, prices will moderate or go down. So, you know, people say don't fight the Fed. I I believe that. I you agree. Know, the, yeah. You know, post World War II, the Fed has has gone on uh, twelve interest rate hike cycles, and nine of the twelve have ended up in a recession, seventy five percent. So, you know, for somebody who's a, a stats guy like myself, I'm like, well, seventy five percent. That's that's pretty strong. And right now, if it weren't for basically the jobs market, jobs are what's supporting this economy right now. Jobs are going up. But I think I think in the near term um, that employers are going to start laying off workers for some reasons we can talk about if you'd like. But uh, yeah, I, I believe I, that's going to be the case. I agree. And I know um, I had read something recently, I think it might have been in the journal or the Times, that the rate of people changing jobs. So, you know, I'm going from uh, company A to company B, even if it's a lateral move. And at one point they were, you know, they could get a higher compensation package just with a lateral move because everyone was looking to hire. That is still, it's not down to zero, but that is on a decreasing trend as well. So that's mm -hmm. another data point I'm seeing where that's starting to slow. But yeah, what else would you like to add on about well, yeah, that? Well, well you know, th this whole payroll thing has been to the Fed a conundrum. Um, yes. Because the economy is slowing. I mean, it is slowing, not, not, you know, the, the, we're not slamming on the brakes by any means, but it's slowing, yet employers are still hiring people. And they're like, why, why, why? So payrolls grew, you know, by 339,000 as of the May report. And year to date, payrolls are up, you know, a whopping 1.6 million jobs, quite a few, right? Um, even right. job openings went up. Job openings uh, as of last month went from 9.7 million to to over 10 million, and that's more than people looking for work. There's only there's less than six million people that are actively looking for work, and there's 10 million open jobs. So you know, do the math. Um, employers still want people. Now, the labor market may stay tight for a while because you know a lot of a lot of people close to retirement when COVID hit, retired. They said, I'm, I'm done. A lot of baby boomers, they retired. They're not coming back in into the workforce. Now, a lot of folks who did leave the workforce because they're getting some augmented um, unemployment benefits and they were getting you know, rent abatement and things like that, they're coming back into the workforce. And and, and we're seeing that because uh, they have to. So, so that kind of helps the workforce a little bit. But um, 
basically employers were, were doing were were hoarding what they call you know employee hoarding. They they there was this shortage of people during the pandemic, and so it was hard to find. So when employers got them and trained them, they are just loath uh, to let them go. But once profit margins start shrinking, you've got two right. options. One is to one is to uh, to raise prices, and the other mm-hmm. is the second is to let people go. And as we know, they've been opting for number one. Right. And they've been, you know, why? Because they can. Because they can. Because they can. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, everyone's, oh, inflation, supply shortages. And so everybody just, you know, under the guise of uh, everyone has to raise prices, everyone has raised prices. So uh, that said, I believe that um, that is coming to an end and employers are going to have to start looking at reducing their the size of their workforce. And that's going to be, I think, the beginning leading into a possible recession. Okay. And when we talk about, and again, neither Bob, myself, or any of us at Private Vista have the magic crystal ball. So we're just talking conceptually or thematically. But if, you know, if we do go into a recession, and I understand that depending on the data, it could change, but kind of where we are today, you know, I think people hear recession and they think, Many people flash back to the Great Recession of 0809. So why don't we maybe talk for our listeners? Are we thinking of a repeat of that? Um, is it more of a um, shallow recession? You know, because there's all different types of recessions that we um, have gone through historically and that we could go through with the one that uh, we think that, as you said, the Fed is trying to steer us towards. Yeah, Nicole, I'm glad you bring that up because... Um, even when I think back on the um, 08, 09 recession, I still have PTSD. I oh, mean, you and me that, both. <laughs> I mean, that was all of us at private That was professionally by far uh, the most <clears throat> difficult time of, of my professional uh, career. Same. And um, what um, I don't think what we're going to do, I think there's going to be a recession. Yes. But I mean, to your point, there's all different size and shapes and flavors of recession. I mean, let's just say that I think it's going to be mild and it'll be very mild just because I think um, employment will still um, uh, buffer the downside uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, and I think that the Fed right now, you know, they may raise rates another quarter point at some point, depending on, um, you know, the future inflation numbers that we don't know and that haven't come out yet, you know, they might, but they're very, very, very much closer to the end than they are to the beginning, you know, and some things take a while to get through the economy and some things happen instantaneously when they raise rates, you know, you raise rates, all of a sudden mortgages go up, um, car loans go up, you know, things like that, credit card Uh, uh, interest rates go up, things like that. Right. Other things take longer to percolate through the economy. So I think the Fed is taking a break to say, you know what, let's see what's going to happen. And this, this, you know, this regional banking crisis actually was good for the Fed. It slowed the economy. I mean, right now, right. Um, basically, loan standards have gone up so much. Uh, from what I read right now, that that uh, new loan origination right now uh, is pretty much stagnant. You know, so that's slowing the economy too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think two things, um, at least the stat I had read on the um how unemployment, when you see a a change or or the reaction in the unemployment numbers after the Fed has raised rates, I think it's generally like a six to nine month lag. So I think that also lends 
kind of some credence or the reasoning of why the Fed decided to pause at least now to just see how that how that goes in the next, you know, uh, well, at this point, probably about three to four weeks. Um, but I think they will be watching those numbers now it might because they had such significant and steep increases over last year, it might filter in a little sooner, but it's certainly not going to be like the next month. So they're watching and seeing to say, hey, how's this How's this impacting certainly the unemployment indicator? Right. And, and certainly, you know, we, we look at the derivatives market, which kind of gives you an indication of what people think the Fed is going to do. Yeah. And it was just a few months ago that they thought the Fed was going to be starting to cut rates in, you know, in early fall. Mm-hmm. And as of now, basically um the vast majority of 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 investors don't believe that they're going to cut rates until 2024. Agreed. So um and right now look <laughs> also looking at the derivatives market, um they uh they meaning you know investors feel that the Fed rate as of December 31st will be 5%, which is where it is right now. Hmm. Okay. So I think too that that is a great point that you just made is, you know, earlier this year, the the consensus or the infamous they were saying, oh, we think rates are going to come down, you know, by the end of this year. And then as you shared, you know, we're now we're about six months later and it's been pushed out, um, you know, 18 months. So how would you, why don't we share some of our thoughts on that just that one example of why when you're investing, we recommend it's for, you know, longer term goals or it should be longer term money that you're not going to need in the next couple of years, whether it's for a planned purchase or, you know, we've all lived enough life to know there's inevitable bumps in the road. So how do we, you know, I think let's kind of just weave in why we think long term uh, long-term goals, and then like the diversification do work over time. And sometimes you can do more harm than good by trying to pivot your portfolio or your approach during these uh, short-term themes or short-term reactions. Right. Uh, and Nicole, let me be really clear that that most empirical studies show that trying to time the market does not work. It just doesn't. People right. think it does. People think in retrospect, oh, I should have known to get out there. I should have known to have, you know, bought that company when it first IPO'd or whatever. But I mean, hindsight truly is 2020. It really is. So it makes you think you should have known something that you never would have known at at the time. When you're making a, a market timing decision, it's actually two decisions. You have to know when to get out, and then you have to know the right time to get back in. Because I've seen people get out. And then they get back in at a higher level of the market yes. where they got out. So they were really smart or so they thought when they got out, but they didn't get back in at the right time. Right. Because you know, so they want to wait till yeah, I want to make sure the yeah. markets are back. Like I just want to make no, sure this, right? No white, fl- no white flags don't go up. They don't. No. no. Um, it's all, uh, no, no. And the market will zigzag and it'll go up and give you, you know, a head fake this way, then back this way. Um, you just never, never know. And the other thing is too, is as all clients ask me, like, well, if we really think, or if you think, or whomever thinks that we're really going to have a recession, um, should we sell now or right. what should we do? And then ride and, it out in cash. Right. Especially because so, you can get some, you know, you can get four or 5% in a money market. No I go volatility. back and I, I, I look at data. And and basically when you look at, you know, I think of the 12 times that, you know, we, we've, they've raised rates and, and we've gone into recession, 
Six of those, the market actually was up during the official recessionary period, and six times the market was down. You know, it's a coin flip. It's a coin flip, you know? So I try to tell clients, and I tell this to our investment teams too, don't think you're smarter than the market. The market likes to punish people. They do. Why why it does, I don't know, but it does. (laughs) Um, It's very mean. But um, so don't try to think that you're real clever or smart. And, you know, you look back historically and the best way um, to manage money, we feel at Private Vista, is to just, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, diversify. And we change, we change that basket over time. So for instance, this year, we've made that basket more conservative. So you still might have a a 60-40 portfolio, which means 60% stocks or equities, and 40% bonds or fixed income. But when you look under the hood, what you see in that 60 and the 40 are different today than what it would have been as of January 1st of this year. And we're generally more conservative because we want to protect our clients' downside given um, a market correction that might be um, you know, coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And we've We've seen, I know, in talking with our clients, um, we 100% still believe in asset allocation and diversification, um, but that doesn't mean it's a set it and forget it. And uh, I've been with, you know, the firm or, you know, one of our predecessor firms for, I can't believe this, 18 years now. And I would say since the pandemic, so since, you know, about coming up a little over three years, this is the most active that our investment teams have been. Now, I always tell clients we're not changing our stripes. We're not day traders or things like that. But like you said, under the hood, we're always looking for, of course, we're looking for opportunities. But I think where we really add our value is trying to reduce or get our clients out of the way as much as we can out of the vulnerabilities or the downside. Right. And, you know, this kind of this is... um the the hyperactivity of what we've done and we're and we're not active traders by any means but no. what we try to do is tip the balance in the favor of of our clients so we look at dislocations in the market if all of a sudden we look at high yield versus let's say treasury debt or or, or just you know um, corporate debt if all of a sudden the spread which means the yield between you know the high yield versus versus you know uh, treasury or corporate debt if it blows out gets huge that means it's time to buy it's safer to buy some high yield and that and that's what we did during covid and it worked right. out well for our clients and um so we we look for for dislocations where it's quite obvious that the market is just like swung way you know one way and then we just try to take a little bit advantage of that and tip the scales in favor of of our clients. We don't do anything crazy or wild and say, "Oh, right. let's go all the gold, let's go all the cash." We whatever we don't. Um, we just think that's too risky. So we just want to, you know, it's another adage: it's not time in the market; it's time in the market, and that that's true. And you know, since I, I've been doing this a lot longer than you, you know, and I, I've seen I've seen the dot com you know, bubble burst yep. and 9-11 and avian flu and, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff where at that moment, everybody's afraid and what should we do? And generally speaking, the thing to do is maybe make a few changes under the hood, but, you know, just to, to whipsaw your portfolio and just going in or out of cash or things like that. 
it has not proven to be the right move. Right. It's not a, a strategy that works time in and time out. I would say, if anything, if you're you're with your strategy, you stick to it. And when you do have the inevitable dislocations or the sell-offs in the market, as long as your strategy still makes sense, that's a great time to be buying. So well, we, saw, right? we saw that during COVID, you know, yes. in March of 2020, um, the S&P was down a little over 30%. We said, this is a great time to rebalance client portfolios. And we did a massive rebalancing and we bought stocks or equities, you know, when they were, you know, down 30%. Exactly. And um, that that worked out well. And we were fortunate to some degree, but we had the odds in our favor because the market was down 30%. Let's do exactly. something. I had some exactly. clients say, what, you're buying and the market's down 30 You're buying, we should be selling. I go, no. No, this is the time you should be buying, right? Yeah, because typically, what you want to do, we have a discipline for for you know managing money, and the reason is is because if you're going to do what's emotional, it's usually wrong. You know, people we want to buy when things have gone up, and typically humans want to sell when things after are, things have gone down. Right? Um, not a great long term investment strategy. No, no, it's not. Um, so. Anything else kind of, um, I know our strategies have served us well throughout, you know, the last three years, but, you know, kind of circling back to what we opened with, you know, unprecedented times, is this time different? You know, does diversification still work? I think we've, we've addressed all those questions. Is there anything else you want to add on what private Vista is either doing or not doing? Because as you said, even though we stick with our long-term strategies, it doesn't mean we don't make tweaks for kind of temporary dislocations or things like that. Anything else we want to talk about what we think might be coming down the pike, um, you know, things to do or not to do? Well, just... you know, one thing, and I mentioned this earlier, one thing that we're not doing is chasing returns. Do we wish we had been more in technology this year? Well, of course, everybody does. Believe me, everybody sure. does. Every money manager does. Uh, listen, money managers all the time. So, gosh, I wish we were. But I mean, we didn't see this coming. This AI thing, too, was a huge uh, artificial intelligence, was just a huge tailwind to a number of tech stocks, too, and right. just drove them up to no, you know, prices up to nosebleed levels. And that wasn't really anything that you could just look in, you know, and say, oh, I see that coming. I guess AI is going to you know, make the market soar in the next few months. It's, it's, you don't see it. So we're not, we're not chasing that. We're definitely not chasing that. And we just think that uh, some of that, um, some of that sector is probably overpriced right now. And it's not just us, it's kind of general consensus just because it's gone up. Yeah. It's so already baked in so much. So um, we're taking more of a conservative approach and like we've kind of had since, you know, early in this year, and we are going to ride that conservative approach out for a while now and just kind of see where where the Fed takes us, where the economy uh, uh, takes us. So that that's what we're yeah. doing. And I, I think that definitely um, will ha- has in the past served our clients well um, is just, you know, if we if we think we're heading into a recession or the economy slowing, there's still companies that, you know, make money during recessions, some outperform during recessions. But I think that's why our investment teams are really focusing on quality companies, those who either have strong cash flow, strong balance sheets, um, 
you know, products, we're still going to have to um, eat. We're going to have to wash our clothes. We're going to, you know, take showers, right? All those things you're still doing, even in a, in a slowing uh, economic time. So that's absolutely right. Even during recessions, to your point, Nicole, there's, there's plenty of companies that still do well because there's a lot of consumer staples. People still have to buy stuff to live. Exactly. Well, Thanks, Bob. I always love having you on our podcast. Thank you. Um, is there anything that just to wrap up, anything else you want to add? Or we've we've covered kind of the highlights or the, you know, I think we've answered a lot of the common questions we get when we're meeting with our clients. Yeah. I mean, anything else would be sheer speculation, because as we said um, at the yeah. top of this podcast, in unprecedented times, I just want to reiterate, we are in unprecedented times. And and anybody who's going to tell you this is what the market's going to do or this is what the economy is, is, is going to do is either lying or delusional because truly nobody really knows. Right. That That is the truth. And if they act like they know or they tell you they know, probably want to run quickly in the opposite direction. Be careful. So, yeah, exactly. be careful. All right. Well, thanks again, Bob. So appreciate having you uh, on the ca- the podcast to share what Private Vista is thinking, and you know, to hopefully share some uh, uh, accurate information with our listeners out there. Thanks for having me, uh, Nicole. Always a pleasure. This has been fantastic, Bob. Thank you. I mean, this is ton of information in a very short amount of time. So I'm glad there's a pause button and a rewind button on podcast because people can go back and check that stuff out. So thank you again for being on the show, Nicole. Of course, thank you for hosting. You did a great job. And our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Dollars and Cents podcast with Nicole Romito. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Nicole comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Vista, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Private Vista is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions, or results obtained from the use of this information. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on 
or relating in any way to this information, the information is provided as of the date referenced. Such data and other information are subject to changes without notice. This was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.